0: Section Twenty Four of History of the Jews in Russia and Poland, Volume One, from the Beginning until the Death of Alexander I, eighteen twenty-five, by Shimon Dubnov, translated by Israel Friedlander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Aseskim, Seoul, South Korea. Chapter Eleven: The Inner Life of Russian Jewry during the period of enlightened absolutism part one one kahal autonomy and city government the system of state patronage spread its wings also over the self-government of the jewish communities towards the end of catherine ii's reign the government clearly betrayed its tendency to curtail the extensive communal autonomy which the jews had been guaranteed earlier in 1776 when the promise of the emperors to allow the jews of annexed white russia to retain their former liberties was still fresh in the official mind but the russian government not in the habit of tolerating such licentiousness among its subjects looked askance at the large economic, spiritual, and judicial functions granted to the Kahals, in addition to their fiscal duties as the collecting agencies of the state taxes. As a result of this attitude, the UKs of 1786 and 1795 had limited the range of activity of the Kahals to spiritual and fiscal affairs. The Jewish Constitution of 1804 went one step further by dividing these two functions between the rabbinates and the kahals, which had previously formed one whole. The rabbis were given permission to look after all the ceremonies of the Jewish faith and decide all disputes bearing on religion, while the kahals were ordered to see the regular payments of the state taxes this was all that was left of the ancient autonomy of the jewish communities in poland with its vast network of institutions and central assemblies or wards it is apparent that in real life the power of the communities was larger than on paper the jews went on submitting most of the cases even those involved in monetary disputes, to their own rabbinical tribunals. The prohibition of imposing the harem excommunication upon obstreperous members of the community was occasionally disregarded since the spiritual tribunals had no other means of coercion at their disposal. On the other hand, the government itself being in need not only of the fiscal services of the cars but also of a responsible organization to be consulted upon Jewish matters could not help tolerating the extension of kahal activities far beyond the range of fiscal interest. When the government was desirous of ascertaining the views of the Jewish communities on some of the measures planned by it, it addressed itself as was the case in eighteen o two eighteen o three and eighteen o seven to the kahals and authorized them to send delegates to st petersburg or the provincial capitals this extension of jewish autonomy was a concession wrested from the government by the force of circumstances by the power of a compact population living a life of its own and refusing to efface itself to the point of merging with the surrounding population and fusing all its public interest with the affairs of the general city administration yet it was just this municipalization of the jewish communities that the russian government had been aiming at for a long time from the time of catherine ii it cherished the thought of destroying jewish separateness by forcing the jews into framework of the russian class organization particularly into the estates of the merchants and burghers when shortly after 1780 the jews were accorded the hitherto unheard of privilege of participating in the city government with the right of active and passive suffrage for the magistracies and municipal courts the lawgivers of st petersburg were confident that russian jewry in a transport of delight would throw overboard its old Karl autonomy and eagerly coalesce with the christian urban estate to form a common municipal organization but neither the jews nor the christians justified these confident expectations the former while clinging as heretofore to their time honored communal organization were glad to participate in the elections to the magistracies in which, up till then their traditional enemies, the Christian merchants and burghers, had been the masters, and in which they frankly proposed to protect their interest, representing as they did a considerable portion of the urban population but Here they encountered furious opposition on the part of their Christian fellow-residents. In the two white Russian governments of Vitebsk and Mogilev, several Jews had been elected to the magistracies as aldermen and members of the law courts. But in the majority of cases, the Christians managed to obtain an artificial majority and keep the Jews out of the municipal administration. Complaints lodged with the central authorities in St. Petersburg, were of no avail for the Russian and even more so, the Polish burghers regarded the bestowal of municipal rights upon the Jews as a violation of their own chartered privileges, yielding to this mood of the Christian population, the administrator of the Southwestern government established on their own responsibility a restrictive percentage for the participation of the Jews in the magistracies by limiting even in places with a predominantly jewish population the number of jewish members to be elected to the magistracies to one-third the representatives of the jewish majority of the population in the city administration were thus invariably reduced to a minority and were not in a position to protect the interests of their co-religionists either in the assessment of the municipal taxes or in the cases brought before the municipal law courts here too the protest addressed to st petersburg by a delegate acting on behalf of the Podolian jews did not remedy the situation in the two lithuanian government, which had fallen into the hands of russia after the third partition of poland in 1795 the christian opposition scored even a greater success for here it became necessary to suspend altogether the operation of the law granting the jews representation in the magistracies when the senatorial case of 1802 making the jews eligible for public office became known in vilna the local christian population raised the cries of indignation the Philistine arrogance of the old city fathers, combined with the low motives of religious and class hatred, manifested itself in a petition addressed in February 1803 by the Christian burghers of Vilna to Alexander I. In this petition, the residents of Vilna protest against the violation of their ancient privilege, in pursuance of which Jews and members of other faiths are forbidden to hold office in Lithuania. The admission of Jews to the magistracies is a misfortune and a disgrace for the capital of Lithuania, for they, the Jews, have not the slightest conception of morality, while their form of education does not fit them for the calling of a judge, and altogether, this people can only maintain itself by all kinds of trickery the christians will lose all interest in accepting public office once the jews are given the right to dominate them the petitioners point out threateningly that the domination of the jews i e their participation in the magistracies though it be limited to one-third of the number of the aldermen will undermine the people's confidence in the municipal administration and judiciary. For the obedience of the mob will be turned into defamation when the Christian who enters the sacred place of justice beholds a Jew as his superior and judge, submission to whom is unnatural by reason of class and religion. The Christian population of Kovno Resulted in presenting a similar petition to another incontrovertible arguments against the admission of Jews to municipal offices. Referring to the cross with the sacred figure of the crucification, which is placed on the court table for the administration of the oath, the petitioners assert that Jewish members of the courts will refuse to look upon it but by reason of their faith will think disrespectfully of it, so that instead of judicial impartiality, there will be mockery of the Christian law. The government found these arguments convincing, and in 1805 repealed the ukase of the Senate concerning the election of Jews to the magistracies of Lithuania. In this way, the stolid rancor of the privileged burghers in some places handicapped the activity of the Jews in the city administration and in others entirely suppressed it. The Jewish communities, backward though they were, displayed sufficient civic courage to send their representatives to the camp of the enemy to work in common with him for the benefit of the whole urban population. but. The narrow-minded burghers who were thoroughly saturated with medieval prejudices would not recognize the Jews as their fellow townsmen. The Jews had to reckon with this coarse conservatism of the surrounding population. They were still able to fall back upon their own communal self-government and had their social energies been directed towards that end, the old Kahal autonomy, in spite of all government restrictions, might to a certain extent have come into its own again. But another factor thwarted this revival the deep rift in the Russian Jewish community, which began with the rise of Hasidism in the second half of the 18th century, and was an accomplished fact at the beginning of the 19th century. 2. The Hasidic Schism and the Intervention of the Government The period of Poland's partitions was also a period of divisions within Polish Jewry. The external division was accompanied by an internal split, the political partition by a spiritual schism. The body of Polish Jewry was divided among Russia, Austria, and Prussia, and its soul between Rabbinism and Hasidism. There was even a significant coincidence in dates. The first declaration against Hasidism by the rabbinates of Vilna, which started the religious schism, was issued in 1772, in the year of the first Polish partition, and the second emphatic declaration of the same rabbinate, which completed the schism, followed close upon the third partition of Poland in 1796. The interval between these two dates represents one continuous stretch of Hasidic triumphs. The Russian southwest, Volhynia, the province of Kiev, and Podolia had by the end of the period been almost completely conquered by the Hasidim. With the exception of a few cities, they now formed the predominating elements in the communities, their ritual was adopted in synagogue worship, and their spiritual rulers, the Tzaddiks, exercised control over the official rabbinate as far as the northwest is concerned hasidism had managed during that interval to obtain a foothold in white russia the only polish province which for over twenty years had been under russian domination and thus politically severed from the rest of curtailed poland under the leadership of the tzaddik shneer zalman of A strong Hasidic center had been built up in that part of the northwest, but there were yet no compact Hasidic communities in that region. In the majority of towns, the communities were composed of both elements, Hasidim and their opponents, the Rabbinists, who were nicknamed Midnabdim, Protestants, the preponderance being now on this side, now on the other, a state of affairs which gave rise to endless dissensions in the kahals and synagogues. In Lithuania alone, the stronghold of rabbinism, Hasidism failed to take root. Here, a small Hasidic groups were ensconced in a number of cities. They held their services in modest rooms in private residences, minyanim, which they were often forced to hide from the gaze of the hostile kahal authorities. In Vilna, the residence of the great zealot of rabbinism, Elijah Gaon, the Hasidim constituted an illegal secret organization. Only in the suburb of Pinsk, in Kalin, the Hasidim succeeded in establishing themselves firmly and could boast of having their own synagogues and tzaddiks. Kalin became the seat of Hasidic propaganda, extending all over Lithuania, where the Hasidim were accordingly nicknamed The second and third partition of Poland, which united Lithuania and White Russia under the sovereignty of Russia, tended to buoy up the oppressed Lithuanian Hasidim, who could now join forces against the common enemy with their brethren all over the northwestern region. The Hasidic propaganda took on new courage. To enhance the success of their missionary activity, the Hasidim spread a rumor that the former anti-Hasidic thunderer, the veteran rabbi Elijah Gaon, was sorry for all the hostile acts he had committed against the sectarians, and that, in consequence, the excommunication formerly held by him against them was no longer valid. When this clever ruse became known in Vilna, the indignant champions of rabbinism prompted the aged Gaon to publish an epistle in which, he reaffirmed his former attitude towards the heretics and declared that all the harems previously issued against them remained in force may seventeen ninety six the epistle was entrusted to two envoys who were dispatched from vilna to a number of cities for the purpose of stirring up an anti-hasidic agitation when the envoys arrived in minsk and set about executing their instructions the Hasidim started a rumor to the effect that the Gaon's signature under the epistle was not genuine. The Kahal of Minsk sent an inquiry to Vilna, and in reply received in September 1796 a new energetic appeal of the Gaon addressed to all the gubernatorial Kahals of Lithuania, White Russia, Volhynia, and Podolia. "Ye mountains of Israel!' cried the great zealot yea, spiritual shepherd, and yea, lay leaders of every government, also yea, the heads of the khals of Mogilev, Polotsk, Zitomir, Vinitsa, and Kamenets Podolsk, you hold in your hand a hammer where it you may shatter the plotters of evil, the enemies of light, the force of the Jewish people. Oh, unto this generation! They, the Hasidim, violate the law, distort our teachings and set up a new covenant they lay snails in the house of the lord and give a perverted exposition of the tenets of our faith it behooves us to avenge the law of the lord it behooves us to punish these madmen before the whole world for their own improvement let none have pity on them and grant them shelter guard yourself with zeal in the name of the lord in calling to arms against the hasidim in these fulminant terms the venerable knight of rabbinism was moved by the profound conviction that the new sect which by that time numbered its adherents by the hundreds of thousands was leading the jewish religion and nation to ruin because it was rending asunder the jewish camp internally while the political upheavals were severing it externally He was moreover alarmed by the luxuriant growth of the cult of the Tzaddiks, or miracle-workers, which constituted a menace to the purity of the Jewish doctrine. The Gaon's ire was particularly aroused by a work published in the same year as his epistle, 1796, by Rabbi Schneer Zalman, the head of the white Russian Hasidim. The work was familiarly called Tanyo and contained the bold exposition of the pantheistic doctrine of hasidism which the champions of the established dogma were prone to regard as blasphemy and heresy the Gaon's proclamation hinted at this work and its author fell painfully hurt by the attack shinier zalman responded in a counter-epistle in which he tried to prove that the patriarch of rabbinism had been misinformed about the true essence of hasidism and he invited his opponent to a literary dispute for the purpose of elucidating the truth and restoring peace in israel but the gaon refused to enter into polemics with the heretic in the meantime the vilna epistle continued to circulate in many communities And gave rise to severe conflicts between Mitnachtim and Hasidim, the former as a rule taking the offensive. Exasperated to the point of madness by these persecutions, the Hasidic Association of Vilna was stung into perpetrating an act of gross tactlessness. When, in the fall of 1797, about a year after the publication of his last circular, the aged gown closed his eyes, and the whole community of Vilna was plunged into mourning. The local Hasidic society met in a private house and indulged in a gay drinking bout to celebrate the deliverance of the sect from its principal enemy. This ugly demonstration arranged on the day of the funeral raised a storm of indignation throughout the community. Before leaving the cemetery, the leaders of the community standing at the Gaon's grave pledged themselves solemnly to wreak vengeance upon the Hasidim. On the following day, the Kahal elders were called to a special meeting at which a series of repressive measures against the Hasidim was adopted. Apart from the measures to be made public, such as new bull of excommunication against the sectarians, the meeting passed several resolutions which were to remain confidential. A special committee of five Kahal members were appointed and was vested with large powers for the purpose of grappling with the heresy. Subsequent events proved that among the contemplated means of warfare was included the plan of informing against the leaders of the sect to the Russian government. It did not take long for the disgraceful scheme to be put into action. Soon, the Prosecutor-General in St. Petersburg, Opukin, received a denunciation directing his attention to the political misdeeds perpetrated by the chief of the Kalina Hasidic sect, Zalman Borukovich, son of Boruk, and his fellow workers in Lithuania. Under the influence of this denunciation, Lopukhin, acting in the name of the Tsar ordered the local gubernatorial administration only in the fall of 1798 to arrest Zalman the head of the sect in the townlet of Lozno together with 22 of his accomplices who were found in Lithuania. Zalman was apprehended and dispatched post-haste to St Petersburg accompanied by a strong convoy. His incriminated followers remained under arrest in Vilna. Zalman was arraigned before the so-called Secret Expedition, a department which dealt with crimes of a political nature. A long bill of indictment was read out to him. He was accused of being the founder of a harmful religious sect, which had changed the order of divine service among Jews, of spreading pernicious ideas and collecting funds, for mysterious purposes in palestine the cross-examination clearly implied the charge of political disloyalty to all questions laid before him the accused gave an elaborate written reply in hebrew zalman's defense which was translated from the hebrew into russian produced a favorable impression in government circles acting upon the report submitted to him by the prosecutor general respecting all the circumstances revealed by the investigation tzar paul i issued an order to liberate zalman and the other sectarian chiefs who had been placed under arrest but to keep a strict watch over them as to whether there exists or is liable to come into existence a secret relationship or correspondence between them and those who entertain perverted notions concerning the authorities and the form of government towards the end of 1798 zalman was allowed to return home and the the prisoners were likewise set at liberty now it was the turn of the hasidim to retaliate on their persecutors in view of the fact that the persecution against them had been instigated by the kahal elders of vilna who had composed the committee of five the Hasidim made up their mind to depose these elders and put their own partisans in their places. With the help of Bakshishi, the Vilna Hasidim managed to secure the good ill of the gubernatorial administration. In the beginning of 1799, they lodged a complaint with the local authorities against the Kahal elders, charging them with having perpetrated all kinds of abuses including the embezzlement of public funds. This action resulted in the removal and imprisonment of several elders. Under official pressure, their places were filled by new elders who either were themselves hasidim or had been recommended by them. The community of Vilna was rent in twain. One section remained true to the dismissed elders. The other stood up for the newly elected. The warring factions were busy sending complaints and denunciations directed against each other to the government in St. Petersburg. The canker of informing, which, perhaps not accidentally, had developed in the first years of Russian rule in Lithuania, brought to the front one hideous personality, a rabbi-informer by the name of Aviktor Haimovich, son of Haim of Pinsk. formerly rabbi Opinsk and the surrounding district had been dismissed from office owing to the intrigues of the hasidic members of the community who were his opponents what Aviktor lamented most was the loss of revenue for a long time the dethroned shepherd had been dragging his flock through the magistracies and law courts having failed in his efforts he decided to wreak vengeance upon the leaders of the sect responsible for his ruin. In the beginning of 1800, Avikdo addressed in an elaborate petition to Tsar Paul I, in which he described the Hasidic sect as a pernicious and dangerous organization which was continuing the work of the former Messianic Sebastians. By a vast array of distorted quotations from Hasidic literature, The informer endeavored to prove that the teachers of the sect enjoined upon their followers to fear only God, not men, in other words, to disregard the authorities, including the Tsar. The denunciation was allowed to take its course. Early in November of the same year, the Tsadig Zalman Borkovich was rearrested in Lozno and dispatched to St. Petersburg under the convoy of two senatorial couriers. On his arrival in the capital the tzaddik was incarcerated in the fortress and after a cross examination confronted with his accuser avictor zalman again replied in writing to the indictments against him which now mounted up to nineteen counts he repudiated emphatically the charge of not recognizing the authority of the government of immorality of collecting money and arranging meetings for secret purposes towards the end of november zalman was set at liberty but was ordered to remain in st petersburg pending the examination of his case by the senate to which it had now been transferred from the secret expedition while the senate was preparing to take up the case the palace revolution of march eighteen o one cut short paul's reign and placed alexander i upon the throne the political wind veered round, and on March 29, one, the new Tsar gave Zalman permission to depart from St. Petersburg. Having satisfied itself that the religious schism in Judaism was perfectly harmless from the political point of view, the government was ready to give it its sanction. One of the clauses of the statute of 1804, permits the sectarians to establish their own synagogues in every community and to elect their own rabbis with the sole stipulation that the kahal administration in each city shall remain one and the same for all sections of the community. As a matter of fact, the law merely recognized what had already become the living practice. The religious split had long been an accomplished fact and the internecine strife of 1796 to 1801 was merely its final act as for the communal organization of the jews which had already been undermined by the political changes the schism proved nothing short of disastrous the kahals weakened by inner struggles and demoralized by denunciations and bureaucratic interference failed to present a united front in the first years of alexander the reigns when the government was carrying out its plan of reform and invited the kahal leaders to share in its labors the communities of the southwest which were completely under the ban of hasidic mysticism reacted feebly to the social and economic crisis facing them the jewish delegates who presented their views in reply to the official inquiries of eighteen o three and eighteen o seven were recruited principally from the white russian and lithuanian governments where the political sense of the jews had not yet been completely dulled End of section 24.